HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And I'm joined today by a guy named Ben Williams. He is from New York State, and I cannot wait to dive into this episode because he's been a habitat and land consultant for the last like eight or nine years up in New York State. He works all over the Northeast, and he's been a volunteer with the National Deer Association for like nine or ten years. I think he's coming up on ten years. Uh, anyways, I've I've always enjoyed trying to improve the properties that I hunt do food plots, trying to figure out how to get more cover in there for the deer. And this is going to be an in-depth look at things that you can do if you're looking for a property or if you currently have one that you're just trying to better the habitat for whatever game animals you're chasing. So I can't wait. He now I think he does real estate. He's got so many irons in the fire. I I can't even figure it all out. He's going to have to uh, create a new fire for him soon. So we're going to jump into this episode. I can't wait. Hope you guys enjoy. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show is Ben Williams, and Ben and I connected online and he he sent me a few things that he wanted to talk about and I was like dude this is right up my alley because Ben you've kind of become an expert on land finding the right land for recreational purposes um, even dealing with uh, the National Deer Alliance and I mean you've kind of got your hands in a lot of things as <laughs> the the few minutes that we talked before we started the recording uh, you kind of chuckled as you were listing off all the different things or all the different irons that you have in the fire. So first off, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, no, glad to be on. And, you know, I was talking to my buddy after archery leagues on Tuesday and I was like, Hey, you know, the uh, nomadic outdoors, but I said, I'm going to be on his podcast. And he's like, no, you're not. I'm like, Oh yeah, man. I'm like, look, we got that going on, but no, I'm, I'm happy to be on the show, man. I enjoy the content and glad I can be a part of it. Man, I appreciate it, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm really pumped to pick your brain because my wife and I are finally at the position where we we can hopefully here in the next couple months buy some land, and mm-hmm. um, just hearing a few of the things that you were sharing with me before the show, uh, I think it's going to be beneficial to anybody who's looking at at getting chunks of land or a chunk of land and turning it into a recreational or a hunting area or really anybody who's thinking about purchasing period right now. I I know the market has changed a lot over the past, you know, 18 to 24 months. And, um, I'm sure you can, you can dive a little bit more into that, but before we do all of that, why don't you start for anybody who doesn't know you or, um, or isn't familiar with what you do? Why don't you share kind of what you do now and, uh, how you got into it? Yeah. So, um, my name is Ben Williams. I'm uh, based kind of, I guess you call it the upper finger lakes region here in New York. Um, it's a real gorgeous area. Like I said, I grew up in this area my whole life. Uh, I live in the Clifton Springs area now with my wife, I uh, grew up in the Clyde lions area. If anybody's ever familiar with the throughway, that's where the casino went in just a couple years ago and stuff, but, uh, went to college for, uh, natural resources and, um, fisheries and wildlife. Then, uh, got a job out of college working with DC for a few summers and stuff, doing invasive species remo- removal. Um, and then uh, got a, actually a job offer from the college to go back and work there um, full-time. So I took that position, needed the benefits and all that good stuff. And then uh, started doing my uh, land and property consulting, setting up hunting properties and recreational properties. And then uh, two years ago, I started uh, working with Future Forest just before the pandemic and all that fun stuff hit. So uh 
you know, I've kind of seen the whole craziness of the market firsthand there with uh, the real estate side. So, and um, yeah, I still do all that today. And somehow my wife still puts up with me. <laughs> hey, man, at least you found a way to make money chasing your passion. You know, I, I'm like, it's a yeah. lot, it's a lot easier sell to go out on a trip or to go out and do something when there's some type of financial gain from it. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine right. it being back in the position. I mean, I was I was that way for a long time up until very recently where it's like, man, can I go, can I get a new bow? And she's right. like, are you kidding me again? Like, did, don't you have a new <laughs> bow? Or, hey, I want to go on this hunting trip again. And now I'm like, <laughs> tax write-off. <laughs> no, yep. I, right. it, man, it's cool to hear that you've got, you've got kind of a one-stop shop now, it seems like for someone who's looking for, land especially for recreational purposes or hunting purposes and then also to be able to help them develop that and turn it into uh, a habitat to improve the deer quality Mm -hmm. yeah so that's you know and that's something that you know uh we talked about it in the first like you said the first intro with this um i would get you know if anybody is looking the first and foremost thing i would do is is talk to an agent that understands what you're looking for and where you're looking and understands you know, that area about stuff and somebody that knows how to work with the right lenders and, you know, stuff like that to get your finances set up so that when you find that piece, you're ready to pull the trigger on it. You know, no pun intended. Um, Cause I, I see so many people that come to the board that say, I'm ready to start looking and they've not even sat down with the bank or, you know, discussed with their, maybe their accountant, their financials, if they can swing it or where they might be able to swing it. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the huge thing is having an agent you can be open and honest with and, um, you know, just be comfortable with and then, you know, making sure them finances are in order. Because otherwise, like I said, you're, you're two steps behind the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes sense to, to find an agent that knows, especially someone like you who's passionate about the outdoors, hunting, how to improve um, a chunk of land. And so uh, gearing it more towards hunters and, and fishermen to to be able to talk about the crops that are around mm-hmm. there, what the neighbors have, uh, maybe yep. what what type of hunting pressure is around there, and to be able to ask those questions to the seller and then convey all that information to the buyer would be a huge thing. And that's the, I think that's what I'm gonna run into is trying to find an agent around here, and it shouldn't be too difficult, but to find an agent around here that can help kind of guide mm-hmm. me through that. Uh, the nice thing is on a lot of Facebook groups around here Mm -hmm. and it may be the same there Um, when people have a hunting property that's going up for sale they'll straight up post trail camera pictures of the bucks that they have on the property or you know the rabbits the turkeys the the ducks and geese if there's ponds on it um lots of cool stuff like that yep yeah and i mean working in the industry and stuff like that you know you do see you know there's different you know marketing strategies with how people present properties and stuff like that um But, you know, just like just like anything else, you know, picture says a thousand words. But just like with the consulting side, I want to get boots on the ground. I want to go look at these pieces with my clients and and have those conversations, those critical ones. You know, when we're out there, like, is this what you you know mean when you say you wanted some topography or is this too much topography for you for what you're looking for? You know, because some people want to have it maybe to build, you know, like a little cabin on it or something like that, too, in the future. So is it something that we can get water, you know, some kind of utilities to anything like, like there's a lot of layers to some of this stuff with people um, and just being able to have those big convers, you know, those open conversations rather, you know, rather than they get it. And then they're like, well, I wanted to build a cabin, but now we got to sell it and try to find another piece because we couldn't get water, couldn't find water, didn't drill well, whatever. Um, so, yeah. So, and like I said, you just got to work with somebody that's, that's well-versed and, you know, knows it. And like we were saying, you know, I refer friends to, you know, people that buy and sell houses on the regular in very, very competitive markets. Um, just because that's not necessarily my forte. You know, I grew up, you know, hunting and fishing and, you know, you know, working dirt and, you know, being on the land. So that's, that's what I know. And that's, you know, what I pride myself on knowing. I can sell houses and I've helped people buy and sell houses too, for sure. But, you know, the real, the real passion there underlying is for land, no doubt. Yeah, that's awesome. Is there in that area, is there something like right out of the gate that you can that you can share with people like, hey, the number one thing that I tell people in order to improve their property is X. Like, is there 
I, I don't know how to say this because I know every property is different, but is, mm-hmm. is food an issue a lot or is it cover or, or water, or do you just kind of see a, a wide mix of all of it? Yeah. So, um, the biggest thing, and you know, this is, it's kind of sounds a little elementary, I guess. I, I like to start with kind of the alphabet on stuff. A access without access. It don't matter where your food is, where your cover is, where your water is. If your access isn't something that works, you know, for whatever reason, whether that's how you got through it historically or whatever it might be, um, you could be shooting yourself in the foot. And I'd say on at least 60, 70 percent, you know, the clients I go to as a consultant, um, their access is poor. And I would say on 90 percent of them are better. It could be improved in some way still. But most of them, I would say across the board are poor. You know, that's why. That's why they're calling a consultant because their hunting hasn't been, you know, as successful as they maybe would like to see it. And a lot of times it boils down to that access. Um, I'd say that's probably the biggest, the biggest factor. And then maybe second, I think would be um, a lack of food, but not necessarily uh, quality food, but just volume of food Um, kind of in our Southern tier region in New York, our woods is maturing out. You know, we've had, we got more forest now than we, you know, have had in the last hundred years, um, you know, comparatively. So, and which, you know, sounds like a good thing, you know, if you say, wow, we got more forest than we did a hundred years ago, but people kind of don't take that step back and think that, you know, deer eat four foot and down, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's where the food is. That's where the cover is. Yeah. There's acorns and stuff like that. And that can be a huge, you know, you said Oak flat stuff like that. When we were talking, um, that can be huge draw, no doubt, but you got to feed them that woody browse and the other stuff during the other months of the year too. You know, you can't just lean on acorns, um, you know, cause you put all your eggs in one basket and if you drop your basket, all your eggs are broken. Yep. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. I mean, I, having listened to a bunch of whitetail podcasts now, um, over the years. And I mean, that's really what got me into wanting to do a podcast. Uh, I've heard people talk about, you know, the, the vegetation, how you can, even without planting food plots through hinge cutting, create more cover, create more, more, um, tonnage for deer to eat and, and like recurring tonnage. I've, I've always been biased towards acorns, I think, because Mm -hmm. I've always hunted, uh, spots that were great for it. And the reason, the reason they were always great for it is because growing up, I only hunted the nine day rifle season in Wisconsin. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. until later in my teens that I got a bow and I started hunting, you know, from September on, uh, before the acorns dropped. And I noticed the other day or this past year, my neighbor had uh, a mowed yard and he probably had 30 or 40 oak trees in it and they would just Mm -hmm. dump acorns like crazy. And it seemed like every single day I would drive by there, there were deer in his yard. Mm-hmm. But they were only there for a certain part of the year. Right. The rest of the year, you wouldn't see them out there. And so, right. yeah, to put, to to think through all of that, and especially having someone like you who can who can help walk through the terrain, help walk through the different types of trees that are on it, and what is going to sustain deer there year round is a huge thing. Because even though they might have pictures of big bucks, anybody can get a picture of a big buck during the rut. You know. Mm-hmm. The question is, are they hanging out there or are they passing through for one week of the year? Right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, um, you know, another, I guess the other key thing that I usually tell my clients as a takeaway is you said, you know, mentioning the plants and stuff like that got me thinking on that is, is get familiar with what's on your property. If you can name, let's just say the, the five most common trees, the five most common shrubs, and then if you can do maybe maybe 10 or a dozen of the most common plants you see on your property, you know, like herbaceous kind of plants, you're going to knock out a majority of what's on your property. I mean, you know, some properties, again, are more diverse, got more different stuff going on. But if you can have five trees, five shrubs, and let's just say 10 herbaceous plants and grasses that you know is either good or not good, but have, you know, that working knowledge on your property, you know, you can go a long way with making those management decisions once you start getting an eye for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, access is a great, great thing to think about. I mean, like when you first, when you mentioned that I, I, 
I felt kind of like a fool for not thinking of that, like right up front. Um, but I've also hunted several properties that just had, I mean, you could access it from anywhere depending on the wind direction. And so, um, in my mind, thinking about that in buying a property, I probably wouldn't have put that near the top of my list, but that's, that's really smart to think about. Uh, what have you noticed or have you noticed a trend? Like, is there a certain size of, um, property acre wise where you start to see price breaks? If someone's looking for 10 acres versus 40, you know, does it drop per acre in your area? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, I, I guess it's it's always been kind of the rule of 10,000, I call it, or the rule of 20,000 for that first acre in that building lot. You, you're going to have that flat rate just about if it's got anything, you know, of any kind of, you know, buildable area on it. You're going to have that right off the board for most areas. Sometimes it's more too. But um, other than that, I would say um, price breaks, not much, because as soon as you start getting up in the acreage, you start getting, you know, different different clientele for different buyers for different stuff. So I don't see necessarily a price break. Um, but I see, like I said, that overlooked kind of size is maybe something in that 20 to 40 acre range, you know, and even guys, you know, that I've um, talked to that want that hundred acres. Um, when I set up like a, like a search criteria to cast that big net into the market to see what's out there and to notify us when stuff hits the market, um, usually I'll shade that a little bit lower than what they might be looking for just because if it's the piece that fits what they're looking for, yeah, it might be 10, 15 acres less than that hundred acres they're looking for, but that's only 10% smaller, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, that's that. And again, if it has the right features, I would rather hunt an 80 acre piece that hunts phenomenal than 150 acres that hunts like crap. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's an easy, that's an easy no brainer if that's what you're looking for, for a property. So, um, same thing. You might have somebody that wants hundred acres set, thinks they do, but they don't, they, they might not even hunt. They might just want to have a recreational piece, you know? So maybe that's more where the 15 acre piece falls in for them. You know, it's having these conversations and making people think, um, you know, really hard about what they want out of that property. Um, again, working with an agent that you can, you can have those conversations with is, is key to getting you what you're looking for. Yeah. Have you noticed, um, uh, and I've heard this from other people that, you know, you want to, you want to kind of figure out what your neighbors are doing, whether, you know, as far as like quality deer management or some type of management plan, if there's a lot of other hunting properties around you. But then on the flip side, I've talked to people who are like, man, I love when I can get in on 10 to 20 acres in the middle of a ton of heavy hunting pressure because mm-hmm. I can be that sanctuary and a lot of people overlook it because everyone, you know, the neighbors might shoot anything that moves and they're like, I can turn that area into a, into a big buck habitat, you know, obviously mm-hmm. less are going to make it because they're, they're moving um, from property to property, but the ones that do are going to figure out pretty quickly that that's a sanctuary and they're not going to have pressure on it. Yep. Yeah. So I get, you know, speaking of that, I guess, um, you know, I, I, I have some great neighbors, you know, the first, you know, few years when we bought the, when my dad bought the property in 08, it was a bit of a struggle. I'll admit it. We had trespassing issues. We had all sorts of stuff. I mean, we could have a whole podcast plus on that, some of those stories, but <laughs> we have some, we have some really great neighbors now and some really good hunting neighbors. The problem with good hunting neighbors is they start sharing the big ones with you. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, so it was, it was kind of a good thing in the past, looking back on it, where you know, they would, you know, shoot a nice two-year-old, which there's nothing wrong with that. You know, one of the older neighbors before they, you know, sold and left the area. Um, but now I got a neighbor that, yeah, we can get some deer into the older age classes, but I'm also going to be splitting time with, you know, seeing those deer with him because he's a good hunter. So, you know, it's like you said, sometimes it might be better to be in that high pressure area where, you know, you want to be in that little pocket where it's, you know, the pressure doesn't hit them and they can, you know, hide away and you can take advantage of it. So it's, it's all situational for sure with all that. Yeah. I've noticed on the property that I hunt mainly in Missouri, it is, I mean, the main chunk is 230 acres and then there's a couple 40 acre chunks within, you know, two or three miles of that, that I also hunt. 
And for a long time, even very recently, I was like, man, it's amazing. I don't have any pr- hunting pressure to the east, west, or north. There's literally nobody hunting on any of those properties. There's only one guy bow hunting to the south, and that's it. And for a long time, I was like, man, this is amazing. Well, the problem is they don't have any hunting pressure, and the deer know it. And so now they're hanging out on the neighbor's property all the time, and nobody is getting a chance at them. Like I saw saw a 180-inch deer. And my listeners are probably getting sick of hearing this, but I was so pumped about it. Uh, I saw a 180 inch deer, never seen it before, never saw it on camera, never heard about it. And nobody around me had seen it. I mean, nobody, nobody pays attention to it because none of them are hunters. Right. And, uh, then I found out that a, a neighbor farther down, uh, it wasn't a bordering property, but, um, a couple of properties over had a picture of it and it was the same type of deal. He only had like one or two pictures of it. But I'm like that the problem with having a bunch of unpressured land is the deer know it. And you may never have any idea that you've got a monster roaming around. Yep. Yeah. And then that's, you know, something that, you know, it, it actually is a good segue into that topic because you talk about that, that encounter or maybe that picture you had of that deer. And that was, that was the only time you had them. Um, a couple deer specifically, actually this one right behind me is one of them. Um, I, I call it, you know, and I've been talking about it for years. I don't know if I picked it up from somebody somewhere. Um, I know the juries, I think have talked about it before something similar to it. Um, I call it the one year rule, um, where basically I'm looking at trail camera pictures, my stand observations, and I'm hunting specific deer like one year, you know, to the day, you know, that, you know, that I had an encounter with them or I had a trail cam picture of them in a specific area on a property. And once they start getting into that older age class at three, four, five, six, seven, maybe even, you know, you can start just about setting your clock, you know, not figuratively. He's not going to walk by necessarily at noon. He might, but I could definitely see him coming in, you know, year after year, you know, that same day. Um, especially I see that a lot during the rut time frame. you know, is real predictable with that or seasonal shifts. I, I see that a lot too with bucks, you know, coming into an area, let's just say mid-October, hang out till mid-November and then poof, they're gone. But again, next year, they're right back on the same, same merry-go-round, it seems. So, you know, look for those patterns. And sometimes, you know, they get overlooked by guys. Um, my, you know, uh, screensaver to my computer looks like a crazy map. I got all these different names with years and, you know, deer history and stuff like that. And I'll go back to it, you know, if we got certain conditions and I'll be thumbing through pictures looking for, you know, what might be hot that day, not necessarily what data I'm getting this year is the deer I kill next year or the deer I target next year is usually where I kind of put my, my value in my data and I'm collecting. Yeah, that's awesome. I've heard that now multiple times and I've been trying to kind of focus on that. The thing that I get hung up on is I think Mark Kenyon referred to it as paralysis by analysis where mm-hmm. you get so hung up on the data that you almost don't ever feel like it's the right time to get out and hunt. And so looking at trail camera pictures and seeing, you know, my target buck from last year on a certain day, and I'm thinking, okay, he's going to be out here on this certain day. And then I'm like, but what about the, what about the wind? What about the weather? What about the pressure or precipitation? If that's not all the same, is he going to be there on that day? And so mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well maybe I'll hunt it the day before, during, and after, which I hear the juries talk about quite a bit. And yep. um, I I almost have come to the point where I just don't put a lot of thought into some of that stuff anymore because I was talking myself out of hunting. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, man, I don't, I don't want to go in and mess this up, so I'm not going to go. Or everything's not perfect, so I'm not going to go. And I realize I love hunting. You know, yep. Oh, absolutely. I, I just love being out there. So even if I don't have that opportunity, I'd rather be sitting in the woods and maybe mm-hmm. it pushes that opportunity back a year, but I'd rather be out there experiencing something. And, and that's one of the things that maybe you could touch on as far as someone looking to buy land goes, like having mm-hmm. a realistic expectation of what you want that property for. Like, do you want a squirrel and rabbit and dove and turkey and deer hunt? Or is this going to be a property just for big bucks? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, those are, you know, all really good, good points you brought up with that. So, you know, a lot of things that you're going to do for whitetails are going to benefit a lot of other species. Um, you know, and I would say, um, cause again, you want to be able to enjoy that property for, I would say 12 months out of the year. You really do. And you yeah. really should for, you know, if Missouri is new, anything like New York for taxes, um, you know, you definitely got to get your money's worth out of these properties <laughs> and you still pay the mortgage payment on the months that you're not chasing whitetails too. So, yeah, you know, you got to enjoy it. Um, you know, I would say, again, it, it all comes down to the individual person on the property. Um, you know, biggest thing is, is you really have to hunt those deer and hunt those, especially if you're going after like mature deer. And that's, it's a very relative term, like you said, for uh, a specific area. It might be, um, you know, a, a four or five-year-old deer, and it might be like a two-year-old deer. Yep. You know, I have clients all over the spectrum here in New York. We have kind of varied hunting pressure across the state. We have, like, I think it's the fourth highest hunter density right up there in Michigan and Pennsylvania and uh, Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's in that top four, too. Um, but yeah, we're right up in there in the top three, four for hunter density per square mile. So there's a lot of hunters in New York state. Um, you know, so that's, that's the thing where you're the best buck in your neighborhood might be a two-year-old buck. So, you know, I have clients that want to say that they want to shoot four-year-olds, but they've never seen a three-year-old on camera. Yeah. So you, you, you gotta be, you gotta take that step back and have, again, those realistic conversations, you know, with people and it does nobody any good to, you know, talk out your butt or whatever, so to speak to them, you know, just, you just gotta be honest with them. Like, I, I don't think you will, you know, like you, you say you want to kill four-year-olds. It's a great goal. You know, we can try to get there, but maybe it's start at three-year-olds, you know, the, or two, you know, even a two-year-old might be, you know, a step to go, you know, you get some of this, I don't know what you want to call it. TV kind of almost it's kind of like hunt shaming i guess you'd call it yeah a lot of people wouldn't shoot that you know buck that you know and i even got some of that you know and i've i've been fortunate enough to take some really nice deer over the you know the last 10 12 years now hunting but i remember i shot it was the first deer i ever killed with a bow self-filmed um great buck I, i think he scored like 100 102 inches something like that and I had a buddy of mine's dad that was like, oh, dude, why, why the hell did you even shoot that deer? And it's like, it's like my, I think he was my second, it's the third. I think he was my third buck I killed with the bow. I self-filmed it, which is oh yeah, a heck of a oh, yeah. heck of a task in itself. And uh, he jacked me right up. And I think I even said that in the video, he jacked me up. So I jacked him up. Yeah. And all it was, that was, and if that's when you stop, you know, shooting him, when you get jacked up. You know, just because he's not what you think he scores or what you think how old he is, you, you got to take a step back into reality with it. You know, it's yeah. If you it's hunt, crazy. if you hunt to please other people, it's going to take the joy out of it for you, for sure, hundred percent. And I, I tell people like, man, if it gets your blood boiling, like if you're, I mean, if you just are so pumped when that deer comes in, even if it's mm-hmm. not the one that was on your hit list, you know, yep. shoot him. If, if you're going to look back and regret it and, you know, be upset with yourself for doing it, like just make sure you know what you want out of a hunt before you mm-hmm. go into it, even if that means you have to write it down. Like have some type of goal in mind or figure out exactly why it is that you're out there. I know I know for me watching TV, uh, watching hunting shows growing up, like if, if I saw anything with antlers, as a kid, as a kid, I'm pulling the trigger. You know, I was so pumped, and I would watch the, I would watch the TV shows, and these guys are like, "Oh yeah, man, here comes this buck," and they're like, "Man, I had to let that one pass. It's just not what I'm looking for," and I'm like, "Are you freaking crazy right now? Like that was a," and I mean, looking back, it's probably like a 130, 140 inch whitetail, eight point, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm I'm like, these guys are absolutely nuts. For doing mm-hmm. that in some in some locations in each state you might be crazy for passing something like that and then mm-hmm. there's plenty of places where it's like man there's going to be a bigger deer than that walking by almost every day during the rut yep. and so yeah no. i think yeah regionally um even within individual counties people oh, yeah. need to understand 
what the caliber of deer is in that area and then be real about what their purpose is out there. Yeah. And I think trail cams are a great tool for that. And again, even talking to your neighbors, you know, you know, even if it's, you know, just to see maybe what they killed or, you know, talk to them about, you know, what they've might've killed over the last five, 10 years, get a barometer for what's, what the, what the area is known for capable of, you know, score wise, antler wise, you know, you can't really age them and stuff once they're, you know, on the wall and mounted up and stuff like that usually, but, you know, you can get kind of a working idea of, okay, that deer was, you know, looking at pictures and stuff. Okay. Yeah. That deer was probably a three-year-old. So it's a hundred, 120 inch deer is a normal three-year-old. You know, I got, you know, might have somebody that says, well, I'm waiting for a 140. Well, you know, I think with all the bucks that I've, you know, killed here, I think I only got one over 140 and I got one right at that 140 mark and they're, you know, four or five-year-old deer and they, for whatever reason, they just don't hit over that hump for us very often. Yeah. Some do, you know, don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, it might not be something that, you know, like you said, even if you get them up to age, it might not even be an antler score that's even capable of something. And then other areas you could have 140 inch two-year-old. Yep. It's, it's crazy how much it varies. Yeah. All right, guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called Bull Elk Beard Oil. If you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain, in the marsh, or in the woods, you've felt the effects of the wind, the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does, it helps you look better, feel more confident, and it helps your beard keep its moisture. Not to mention, it smells great, so now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. Now I need to tell you, I've gotten to know Brian the founder over the past couple months, and he is an awesome guy. Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions, or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy, and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bullelkbeardoil.com, and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code NOMADIC and get 20% off your order. I, I want to touch on something you mentioned before we started recording, and that was you said I would, in a lot of cases, rather have five 40-acre chunks than one 200-acre chunk. Mm-hmm. Can you can you elaborate on that and and kind of share why that is? There's a there's a lot of reasons why um, I I've said that and like I said I think it was a conversation with my wife um, not too long ago that somehow it got brought up where you know and I, again I hope my dad's not listening to this because he's going to think I you know don't like the farm and I love the farm but uh, um, the the reasoning behind the multiple forty acre pieces rather than a one 200 acre piece, you know, in the grand scheme of things is working on a lot of properties and hunting, you know, I do hunt, you know, and lease a couple other properties too, for mostly for locking it down. But, um, the benefits to that is, is you're hunting different deer, you're hunting different herds. It might be like, you know, if, if the farm for whatever reason, this coming year doesn't have a deer that, you know, tickles me, I, I gotta go find a new place. I gotta go find another piece. If you just have the one spot, you know, I got to go hunt state land. I got to go do something else. Yep. Um, whereas if you have, you know, five 40 acre blocks, yeah, your, your harvest level or whatever you might want to call it, your, you know, your goal for that property, I guess we'll say um, for age or whatever or score, um, you know, realistically, you know, might be a little bit lower, but again, there's a lot higher chance that you could have a deer on one of those five properties to target and go after. Um, and I, I see that with hunting more pieces um, and hunting our property, like almost two different pieces. You know, I see a lot more benefit in that just because I can spread out my pressure, um, access it a lot better. Um, and again, you almost hunt it like different deer herds because it almost starts turning into different deer herds when you start uh, looking at it like that. Yeah. No, that, that makes perfect sense. And I think there's something about moving on, you know, leaving one property alone and then going to another one. It, it seems 
I don't know how to put this. It almost seems like more of an adventure or a new adventure, you know, like going and, Hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go hunt, you know, the property on the other side of the County today. Whereas Mm -hmm. when you have one chunk of property, that's all contiguous land. It's like, all right, I'm going to sit on this side of the woods or that side of the woods or, you know, Mm -hmm. in this chunk or that chunk. And, uh, yeah, I, I like that idea. I've always been the kind that I'm like, man, I want to find a huge chunk of property, but Mm -hmm. that sounds kind of awesome. I would love to have five different 20 acre chunks that I could go Mm -hmm. and hunt in different places. Yep. Yeah. And it's, like I said, it's something that, you know, um, a lot of people I don't think would even, you know, like you said, it's just something that doesn't cross anybody's mind like that. You still have the same amount of huntable acres, you know, and you might have that one 20 acre piece in that, you know, slew of pieces that, you know, just, just works for you and goes off like crazy for whatever reason, the way it lays out and everything where the neighborhood might be better. Um, and then you got another one where all of a sudden, like you said, it's a lot of hunting pressure, but you're getting a great buck over there, you know, this year that you want to go try to go after and you can spread out, you know, and not burn out your one spot. And again, when people have, you know, again, when I invite even friends out, you know, maybe to, you know, do some hunting and stuff like that on the piece, um, they usually want to go to the same stand they've always sat in. Yeah. You know, and I, I see people do that all the time, you know, as a consultant, they're like, this is my favorite stand, or this is the stand where grandpa shot his big deer back in 76. <laughs> and, you know, we always hunt this spot and it's just like, yeah, he could have got lucky in that tree, any tree, you yeah, know, in a woods yeah. in a given rut or, you know, a given opening day. Um, you know, I, I, I love the stand that gives me the next opportunity to kill my big buck out of it. I think that's something Jeff Sturgis says. And I 100% agree with it. Your favorite stand should be the one you're sitting in that day with the hopes of making it the next memory. Yeah, I I mean, I I 100% understand. And I've burned a couple seasons sitting in the same spot because I just can picture, I I can relive the memory of how it happened the Mm -hmm. last time. And I think it's going to happen that way again. And I've only had one stand that it really, I mean, I had one stand where it was almost a perfect, if I took video of it, it would have mm-hmm. almost been the exact same path, the exact same shot distance, everything. But that's it. I mean, I've sat yep. in the same stand basically my entire childhood, like from the time that I could hunt it, what, 11 or 12 to the time mm-hmm. I graduated high school, I was sitting in the same spot and I'd killed yep. deer, but things change. And if you get hung up just because it happened that way one time or even twice, you might be missing out on, on a much better spot or, you know, when the deer shift or they start taking different paths to food or bedding, you know, if you are hung up in that stand, you might not even see him. I only have one stand that I've killed more than one buck out of. Dang. That's it. Yeah. And that was, and that was a one year rule hunt to kill that second buck, <laughs> Dang. you know, that, that, that's that, that second buck I killed out of that spot. And it was where I killed my first buck. And then the conditions were right. Weird Southeast wind. And that spot goes off right there that first week of December. And I had a one year rule of a different mature buck in there the year before. And I rolled the dice on it with the right conditions. And he came in and gave me like a great hundred, 120 yard shot through the timber and, Again, like you said, what you picture is going to happen. You know, you didn't, I didn't specifically go in there looking for that deer, but I went in there hunting that movement one year ago, you know, or the data I had from that. And again, that boils back to, you said, you know, you get too hung up on the data. Again, if that wind wasn't Southeast that day, if it was anything West, I couldn't sit that spot. Yeah. You know, that, that would throw that, that card out the window that to play that. Um, so again, it all boils back down to the access and conditions lining up with, with that, you know, you might have the one year rule lined up, but you don't have the West wind you need to hunt it or the East wind or whatever it might be to get in and hunt a spot, you know, where you think you could capitalize on that information. Yeah. Yeah. That man, I'm glad there's people like you out there and like the Drury's and Mark Kenyon and all these, all these different students of whitetail. Because if it was up to me to figure these things out without having, you know, experts out there telling me how to do it, oh man, I'd be so screwed. Like I would never, I would never kill even like the top 50% of the deer in the area. 
Um, what? Here's a question that I don't want. I don't want you to give away your trade secrets and almost work yourself out of a job as a consultant. But when you walk into a property, I mean, do you go in with the map, start sectioning it out? What you know, what the different areas are, or how do you? start out breaking down a property for clients? So the reason I think I've been able to work real good as a real estate agent, you know, is from my time as a consultant because I'm working with people, you know, um, you know, based on what, what they're looking for already. And I treat the real estate like I treat the consulting is, is I want to sit down with you, you know, whether it might be a phone call before I come out or, Maybe it's we meet that morning, you know, at the property, the cabin, diner, whatever. I mean, I met, you know, met and done it a bunch of different ways, but just have that conversation with them and what they're trying to do and what they've done, you know, and, and why, you know, you know, why they're contacting me, you know, what is it? Is it that, you know, we've only been killing hundred inch deer. We want to kill one forties. Is it, we just want to see more deer. You know, we haven't, we haven't shot a buck and we've owned the place six years now, you know, the list goes on and on for it. Um, and I would say you start looking at the property. The land is easy. The biggest thing I think as I guess my trade secret or whatever is, is working with people. The, the people are, is it the land lands easy. It's matching what you do to the land, to the people that want to enjoy that land and how, you know, and how those people, you know, use that land. That's the, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, so because like I said, at the end of the day, I, I work with people, you know, you say that, you know, I work your land, work outdoors, but it, it's all people, you know, land doesn't pay me, people pay me, but um, you, you got to be able to, to connect the dots for the people, you know, and if you can't do that, then, you know, you're not going to be successful with it. Well, and I'm sure that gives you a really good base to start with as far as even just communicating with them. Like, you mm -hmm. know, after having that conversation and how they, how they talk to you about a property that they're looking for, you know, what their experience level is with, with management or deer activity or whatever recreation they're going out there for. That way you're not diving super deep into, into a property and explaining it to them when you need to do it on an elementary level um, mm -hmm. for them. So that's, that's very interesting. I didn't, I didn't really think about that as far as your, your job and, in how you tackle a property it's more about the people than it is mm -hmm. uh really figuring out the property yeah and then after you know you get the you know kind of the the mindset and you can usually get a pretty good you know uh feel for people um especially way that you know they might be talking about certain projects or certain areas that they really you know focus on in the conversation it might be something that you pick up as more important even though if they say it's not as important yeah um you can kind of read into some of that stuff between the lines and then you just, you know, start breaking it down. Access, you know, land use types um, is, you know, is it lacking in certain areas? Am I seeing, you know, browse on a species that deer really shouldn't be eating that much of, but it's the only thing here and that's what they're eating now. Um, you know, poor, poor locations of, you know, uh, improvements like food plots or, or certain things like that. Um, that. Like there's a lot of pieces that go into it, but it's figuring out what your goals are for a piece. And I say it all the time is plan with a purpose for any of your improvements. And then I just, I just beat it home with people is access, access, access. If you don't have that, anything you do is just for not. And even some of the improvements we did on our piece, you know, going on, you know, 10, 12, 14 years ago now, um, I, I might not have done them the same. I would not have done some of them the same way that we did them back then. Um, looking at it now, having more experience hunting the piece, how deer flow, um, kind of through it and stuff like that, and having more working knowledge. Um, some of the stuff we did because it was an easy place to do it, um, but easy is not necessarily where the right location is for it. You know, it might have been a smaller, let's just say, food plot. And one example I'm thinking of would have been, a, should have been a smaller one with kind of a long, I guess, linear connecting plot between that and one of the other plots rather than one huge plot. Um, just kind of for an example with that, you know, necessarily easy isn't exactly maybe where the best improvement could be. Um, it might be something that's a little bit harder or something that's, you know, not as cookie cutter square as a big field. So, 
yeah. What? Why? Why don't we dive a little bit more into that property if you're if you're cool with it? Um, mm-hmm. So you your dad got a two hundred acre property in oh mm-hmm. eight. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, end of two thousand seven, going into two thousand eight. Yep. Okay. And so then, I mean, you talked about food plots and putting those in. What mm-hmm. what other type of management strategies or habitat improvements did you go into um, over that time period that you guys have had it? Uh, so when we had it, there was no, there was no logging roads, no access roads, no nothing. I get there. Okay. There was one gravel driveway going in on the east side of the road, but other than that, there was nothing. There was no trails system, no anything like that. So the first year, um, probably the first two years was just bushwhacking trails. And, um, we really didn't do any food plots, um, or anything like that. And then in probably, I want to say I'd have to look back at it probably 2009 going into, you know, the, I guess, spring of 2010, we started doing a couple small food plots um, on a couple of the power line right away that goes through it because it got opened up when the utility company came through and opened it back up. So we jumped on it because it was easy spots that we don't even really plant anymore, you know, just because they don't, they don't work with the flow of the property. Um, So, and then after that, trail system, food plots, invasive species work. Um, we did some timber cutting not too long ago because the emerald ash borer came through. Um, got an ash harvest out of there, netted a couple thousand dollars before it you know, went away and turned into nothing. Um, that was a huge plus. But, um, you know, it's, you know, everybody likes to wrap on that food plot game and I love it. I really enjoy it. Um, but, uh, if the like I said, if the excess isn't there, it doesn't matter about your food plot. It doesn't matter what you plant. It, I tell people that all the time in seminars. They say, "Well, what what's the magic? You know, bean or whatever to plant. It's where you plant, not what you plant. Yeah. You know, for sure." Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I mean, a lot of people, myself included, have gotten hung up on what you're putting out there, like mm-hmm. where I hunt. It's a it's a chunk of woods. I mean, on the main property, the best, the best area for deer movement. I mean, it's kind of a sanctuary. We stay out of the woods right there. We hunt the edges quite a bit and the whole thing is surrounded by either corn or beans. And I got hung up. I'm like, what, what can I give these deer? You know, I've got to change up the food source, obviously, if I want to keep them and the corn and the beans get harvested pretty close to the same time, obviously not exact, but to have something out there for them once that's once that's done but thinking about the location i planted stuff where it was easy i planted it where it was easy for me and not necessarily where it was the the best for the deer and that's something that i need to i need to address this year as i as i think about you know i mean spring is almost here uh, we're, we're still getting some freezing weather here and there in, in missouri and definitely up here in wisconsin where i'm at now um yeah to address that and figure out man where would it make more sense for the deer and not just be easier for me yeah where it works for your access where it works and how it relates to you know adjacent cover blocks you know all that might be the thing where you know maybe you can't plant that one let's just call it half acre but you can put this little quarter acre in of a cereal grain that'll withstand that browse pressure um you know it might be it might be that's where your better bang for your buck is um, looking at how it how it relates on a uh, you know a grand scale so to speak you know rather than just looking at hey I got open ground I should plant it you know yeah, yeah I might man I might just need <laughs> might need you to come down from New York and hang out with me in Missouri and actually check this out so I I don't know that I've shared this on the podcast at all yet but I'm I'm up in Wisconsin right now. I'm mm-hmm. at my mom's place and it it's kind of a, a split trip and it didn't it didn't start out that way it was kind of an emergency trip to come up and see my grandma um, she's not doing doing well but once I knew I was going to be up here and I was going to be seeing family on the other side of the state I uh, made a couple calls because I'm looking at a a lease in Buffalo County Wisconsin mm-hmm. and it's a big I mean it's a good chunk of ground bigger than anything I've hunted and it kind of falls into that same category what you were talking about earlier I think it's a total of 538 acres but Mm -hmm. it's split up into 
four different properties. A couple couple chunks that are between the 60 and 90 mark, and then a couple mm-hmm. that are in the mid to upper 100 marks. And uh, and so that's going to be something that I, I go and tour this weekend, going to go drive around, take a look at it, and then start figuring out management plans right away if it's something that mm-hmm. I do end up leasing. Right. And again, I guess, um, you know, before I would even, you know, um, I guess even drive to them, um, I'd look at the aerial map. I would look at, I would look at where your access point is. I would look at how big the surrounding parcels are um, because the smaller the parcel in states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, New York, smaller parcels usually mean more deer tags Yep. in the area. Um, so that's a key thing to look at. I would look at topography and look at your habitat breakdown um, and all that stuff from the air, you could pretty much, you know, work up right now with a map like Onyx or something like that. You can get a pretty good game plan before you even go to step foot or go to look at a piece, you know, nowadays, you know, whereas, you know, like I said, 20 years ago, you had to literally go stomp every inch of it to figure it out or yeah. go down to the County office and pull the, pull the topo maps out. And you didn't know how that worked with the aerials and, you know, um, I did a lot of that with my dad scouting, you know, years ago, going down to the county office, pulling those topo maps and then pulling an old area, a grainy, grainy aerial image <laughs> and trying to, you know, scout pieces before we even were out on them. Um, so it, it's amazing how far technology is. But, yeah, you could speed scout a lot of those pieces and look for a lot of those good things. Again, if it has the good access, then I would look at, you know, maybe even put it on a, a one to five scale. You know, five being the best, like you said, you could, you could hunt this from this side, this side, this side, it works great. Um, look how many pieces are around it. Okay. It's got, you know, like 10, five acre pieces, you know, within, you know, a couple, a couple properties even, you know, because that's gonna, you know, break that up. Then you're looking at topography to get some flow, get some ideas of travel. And again, how that would relate to how you'd access it and then start breaking it down by the habitat on it. Um, and again, like I said, this is all stuff that basically I speed scout a property before I go out at, you know, for the client, like I have kind of an idea of what I think, you know, the day is going to do, have that conversation and then kind of mesh that together, you know, with what I've kind of seen from doing that speed scout, um, before I'm even on that property. Yeah, that I've, that's something I've been doing basically every night. And mm-hmm. I, yep. I think just because I'm so giddy about it right now and it's so new yep. and so exciting. Um, it's like every night, man, just hopping on, looking at the aerials constantly. And it's, it's kind of cool because, um, on certain maps, I mean, if you bounce back and forth between different map softwares, uh, you can see it at different times, maybe not necessarily like different seasons of the year, mm-hmm. but like, if you zoom out far enough on Google earth, you'll see it in a totally different color even than yep. when you zoom all the way in. And so, Oh man, I've been looking and the, the thing that I think I'm most concerned with and it's concerning, but also exciting is the area of the state. I mean, Buffalo County, Wisconsin is known for is monster well deer yep. and Well, I know that even out here in New York. (laughs) I know. And knowing that, I'm like, okay, well, that means there's probably going to be a lot of really smart hunters or outfitters close by. Which means they're going to be hunting big bucks. But also that means there might be a lot more big bucks. Like, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not, it might not be like other places that I've hunted because I grew up hunting here where it's a year and a half old deer that are getting shot primarily. Mm -hmm. You know, I might see a lot more older class deer than, than what I would anywhere else. And so it's, it's very intimidating to say the least, cause I've never leased a property. I've never bought a property. I've hunted properties where I'm the only one who has permission, but it's also mm-hmm. not as sought after, you know, it's a lot of cattle pasture with a couple good chunks here and there. And this is going to be the first one where it's like, dude, this has potential for giants mm-hmm. and, that pressure has been mounting on me for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So I guess, um, you know, just to, um, cause everybody thinks like their, their piece is the, the best one in the world, no matter what, you yeah. know, any client you go through, they really like it, you know, even if it's not fulfilling what they want, you know, you know, at that time. And I would say, 
um, something that might help you. So is it, do you have to rent the whole 500 or can you rent individual pieces of it? So that's not, I mean, I guess we haven't had that conversation yet. I think the opportunity would be there to do individual chunks of it. Mm -hmm. Um, In looking at it, there's, there's some variety in it. Uh, For the most part, it's pretty close to the same area. There's a lot of draws and fingers that, Mm -hmm. uh, where the, where the corn maybe cuts back into the woods a little bit or the woods cut out into the corn. Um, and so it looks like there's a lot of, there's definitely natural funnels on every chunk of it. Um, and if you look at the breakdown of it, I would say percentage wise, most of the individual properties have the same amount of crops versus, versus Mm -hmm. woods. Gotcha. And so, Man, yeah, in looking at it on the maps, I'm like it's it's tough for me looking at this because like I said I haven't had a property like this or have I haven't had experience with properties of this caliber before um to really fully understand what to look for. Um you know, I've already got spots where I'm like, man, I feel like this is going to be killer. Mm-hmm. Uh and that's just kind of off of past experiences other places, but I grew up in Wisconsin. I grew up hunting woods. Like no fields mm-hmm. at all. I was just yep. in a 40 acre chunk of woods and it almost didn't matter where you sat in those woods. You would have deer funneling through all day long. And mm-hmm. there was so much pressure everywhere. It's like you hear a gunshot and you just got to be ready because deer are going to be running yep. past you. Out here, you know, it's going to be still pressure, but not like it was on that small 40 acre chunk where we might have right. 10 to 12 people hunting one 40 acre chunk. So yeah, yeah I feel like... part of me feels in over my head for sure. If I'm being honest. Um, and then the other part of me is just so pumped. I'm like, dude, I can't wait. So yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, if it makes sense for you budget wise, um, I think, I think grace uh, leasing is a great tool, um, for hunters. Um, and the other thing I would say is, um, unfortunately, I guess in the, in the day and age in the world we live in, because taxes and stuff like that are getting to some of the points where they are. A lot of these landowners that used to give out some of this permission ground are having to turn to leases. Um, And one thing that I guess I'll I'll say as a word of caution, again, this worked out in our favor, you know, because my dad was able to be saving for the piece we bought. We were leasing a couple pieces before we bought um, because it was economical for dad to be able to put money away you know, while we still enjoyed some very, you know, nice hunting property as well. Um, and again, unfortunately, because we kind of kept a steady same rate with the one piece um, that we eventually lost out on um, because somebody came in, there's always going to be somebody with a deeper pocket than you. Yep. Um, but the one thing I would say is, is also don't, don't abuse uh, the people that are leasing you a great piece of property because that, 500 acre property might be a multi-million dollar, you know, asset for that person, yeah. you know, so, yeah. you know, to, to skimp them on a, a couple hundred dollars, you know, to not pay somewhat close to market value for it, you know, they're going to feel cheated, you know, some possibly at some point at the end of the day, which is probably why we might've lost out on that one lease we used to have, um, which again, everything happens for a reason. And the next, you know, a couple years later, the piece came up, my dad bought, and it literally borders the piece that we buy, you know, we own now. So, you know, we, we knew that area, you know, yeah. so when the piece came up, but um, yeah, like I said, and unfortunately, you know, some of the stuff, you know, it might be, um, you don't, uh, you don't do a dart league, you know, at your local bar, you know, you, you do your lease payment, you know, that year or whatever it might be. Yep. You know, you just got to decide where your priorities are. Just like, you know, we talked about with a landowner on a piece, you got to figure out where, where you want to spend your, your dollars, you know, for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes perfect sense. And, uh, while we're recording, I'm not going to go into too much detail on this property, but you know, there, no, no. there's been an outfitter on it in the past and, and obviously like he was there for a reason and mm-hmm. there's big deer. I mean, big yep. deer that have been taken out there. And I know, I know some of the people fairly close, I mean, really, really well known in the hunting industry and in producing giant deer. And so I'm like, man, 
the potential is there. And the nice thing is there's, you know, it's a guy that, that I've come to know through the podcast and it's a connection that I've had there. And I mean, it helps that I grew up, I grew up right next to Buffalo County. You know, I, I've gone to school with people that have, you know, world-class whitetail properties. Um, I hunt the property right next to Buffalo County and some people are starting to call it the new Buffalo County. I don't mm-hmm. think that's ever going to be the case. I think Buffalo is going to always <laughs> hold some absolute freaks. But anyways, I feel super blessed and I'm excited to go check it out. And uh, it's going to be, I feel like this over the next couple seasons, I'm going to learn more about property, about mm-hmm. deer movement, about mature deer than, than I ever have. And I think that's probably what I'm most excited about. Always got to be learning. The, the day you stop learning, you know, and like you, you you know, and I'm, I'm thankful for the, you know, the, the praise or whatever on it, but the day you start really kind of labeling yourself as that expert is when you start taking some stuff for granted and you start slowing down. I, I don't want to slow down. I don't want to stop learning. I want to, I want to learn something new on every parcel I go to, you know, it might be even a way that he's, you know, uh, mixing his seed or planting something some different way. And I'm like, Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, maybe I should try, you know, playing with that and tweaking on that you know, a little bit, you know, or, you know, I started cutting this tree and, you know, now I'm starting to think about, you know, grafting cuttings and stuff like that and play around and do a little nursery at my home here. And it's just like, you you never know where you're going to, you know, get pulled or learn or whatever. So I would, I would say, don't, don't stop learning, man. That's, that's, that's an absolute must, you know, because you you never going to know it all. Never. Well, yeah. And I, the other thing I struggle with is like hearing, hearing so much information. There is so much good information out there about property management, about, uh, deer habitat, about, um, deer behavior and hunting strategies and all of that. And I find that the more I'm out there, the more I learn, I'm not like an audible learner. I I definitely pick things up here and there, but when I'm out there seeing it for myself, like you said, boots on the ground, that's where it all comes in for me. Like I learned more on field trips in in school than I ever learned sitting in a classroom and just listening or reading a book. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. So I will probably be picking your brain or maybe trying to get you out here, uh, to, to impart (laughs) some of your wisdom here in the near future. Oh, that'd be awesome. It'd be sweet, man. Well, hey, I, dude, this always happens to me. I look down at the clock at the wrong time and I'm like, holy crap, we've already been at this for an hour. I feel like <laughs> we just, I, I honestly feel like we just did an intro and like we yeah. could go so much farther into this. So we're definitely going to have to hop on a call again. And even when it gets, oh, yeah. when it gets time, you know, for people to be putting in food plots or mm-hmm. figuring out water, you know, in the heat of the summer, if they don't have, if they don't have a water source on the property or whatever that looks like, hopefully we can do a, a timely podcast about improvements that they could be making in a certain season of the year. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love that. Well, uh, before I let you go, I, I've i got to give you an opportunity to share where people can find you. Where can they get a hold of you if they're interested in purchasing land, if they're interested in, in having you be um, do some consulting for them and, and teaching them mm-hmm. about a property or what to look for. Yeah. So I'm all over the place. Actually, we got connected on TikTok of all things in this <laughs> crazy world we live in. Um, you know, uh, actually that just started with my wife sending me funny videos and then she's like, Oh, you got to download this. So <laughs> I guess thanks to my wife for making this, this connection all happen. Nice. Um, I do a lot of stuff on, uh, uh Instagram and stuff like that. And that's uh, old tin cup consulting. Um, Facebook, Old Ten Cup Habitat Restoration Enhancement. That's my, you know, the full business name there. Um, I'm posting videos, updates, I'm doing quite a bit of shed hunting right now. So there's a lot of content on there with that. Um, got some fruit tree trimming coming up. So I'll be putting, you know, kind of my annual posts on trimming fruit trees coming up for stuff like that. And then for, um, you know, buying and selling land uh, licensed in New York. So unfortunately, that's the only place I can do business legally with, with buying and selling and stuff like that. But the consulting, I can do that anywhere. Um, so I've worked, uh, New Hampshire, Maine, Vermont, New York, Connecticut. Um, got one plan for Pennsylvania coming up and, um, majority of them are in New York, but I've gone, you know, all over the Northeast and 
you know, I'm not scared to go tackle, you know, other areas of the country either. Yeah. That's awesome. Hopefully uh, you can add Missouri and Wisconsin to that resume here soon, but uh, everybody, everybody go check, check him out because I don't think you mentioned this on the show, but before we started recording, you mentioned you do a lot of like live Q and a stuff too. Yeah. What an awesome resource. I mean, just to even sit in and listen. And then if you've got a question to throw that out there, but to be able to listen to that and maybe hear questions and answers that you would have never thought of. Um, Mm -hmm. Social media definitely has its perks and then it's got its downsides. Like my wife making me dance on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you gotta do the happy wife, happy life thing. I like, this is going to be the first of many. Uh, I hope it is. And uh, we'll stay in touch for sure. Absolutely. Dan, always a great time. Yeah. Thank you so much. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. Man, what a cool episode to to just hear from Ben. All of the different tips and tricks and strategies, things to look for when you're looking for a lease, property to buy, property to get permission on, um, or just on the property that you own that you're trying to make improvements on. And so I look forward here in the next couple months to putting that stuff into play. I mean, the property I hunt here in Missouri... I know there's things that I can do to make it better, and I'm I'm really going to push for that this spring and summer, and in hopes of seeing my my return this fall. And I actually just got back from my trip to Wisconsin. We went and looked at a property in Buffalo County. Unfortunately, it just wasn't the right fit for us or the landowner, and I'm still kind of in the market. I guess I was never fully in the market, but this is. This opportunity kind of presented itself to me, and I was like, man, I better at least take a look. So, hopefully I can have my own spot, have my own property, not one that I just have permission on, but my own property that I can get out there and do all of this stuff on. And I hope you guys are doing the same. Winter is basically over most places, and you got to start thinking about improvements, food plots, as you're out there scouting, as you're out there shed hunting, and now getting out into the turkey woods. I think those are all things to be thinking about. So thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.